Hello and welcome back to the Start a Glamping Business podcast. Today we have Travis Baruby, who is the co-founder and managing partner of Soma Build. Uh, Soma Build are an end-to-end project management firm in the experiential hospitality space. Uh, so Travis, tell us a little bit more about Soma Build and what you do. Yeah, I think you nailed it in a nutshell. If I can expand on a little bit, you know, we're certainly a, a, a firm that specializes in the support and kind of like heavy lifting of taking on both clients that are developers um, as well as, you know, investment partners alike and helping them, you know, bring concept to reality, which I know there's like a lot to what that sounds like, but really what it adds is at the end of the end, you know, we take someone from having a really exceptional idea um, within this experiential hospitality space, which is certainly nuanced in a lot of different ways. And we actually lay the groundwork for helping you create what you envisioned. And we do that really by three main ways um, of support. One, we can be brought on as, as consultants and help you support, and we've seen a lot and we've done a lot, um, and we can certainly help you that way. Um, also bridging introductions, whether that's to capital partners, to builders in certain areas, you know, land, we can help you find that as well. Um, but like what puts the most gas in our tank, I'd say, and what I think is kind of our differentiator is, is our ability to, to, to really incorporate end-to-end project management uh, into, your, into your idea. So, you know, in this space, and it's like, it, it's ever evolving, but as you know, Nick, you know, you're in a lot of space and a lot of people with it, um, but it's a tight-knit community. Um, there's like no shortage of consultants who their knowledge and experience is worth their weight in gold 10 times over. And I urge you to bring them in, whether that's us or you need an intro or, or someone else. Um, and also, you know, we at Somabills recognize that like there's a massive delta between great advice and knowing what you need to do next and actually getting it done, right? Um, and so that's where Soma Build comes in and I think separates ourselves a little bit is we can help take the keys from the project and actually do the work required of taking that consulting concept and executing it fully. You know, like everyone else I in this space, I knew experiential hospitality was what I wanted to do from when I was a little kid and it was the, and I'm obviously uh, kidding right now. I kind of like stumbled into it and fell into it like I think a lot of people do. Um, but how we came about is really... Um, a little bit of a story between, you know, me and, and our, our founder, Sam Morton, who I, I, I'll give you the brief overview of his story, but I think he'd be a great guest as well because his story is pretty great. Um, but the long and the short of it is Sam had the pleasure of working for a company called Getaway uh, for the better part of a decade. Um, and if you're in this space, you're listening to this, this podcast, you probably have an idea of, of who Getaway is and, you know, how their model impacted the industry. Um, and he was one of their very, very first hires. So like true startup mode and everything that comes along with that, which is, uh, long days, long nights, tons of energy. Um, and you know, wearing whatever hat is required of making sure the project is done well. And I think that really like stuck with him, um, throughout his career. And he's brought that mindset into Soma build now, um, but as such, you know, he was able to, to be a part of and observe or lead or get his hands dirty with so much uh, of getaway and actually building out their concept, which is the physical sites and locations throughout our country. Um, and so that was his biggest takeaway. He had the opportunity to be a part of and lead and on site for, you know, truly the acquisition of raw land and everything that happens between that and, you know, checking in guests uh, and taking care of your guests that way. And. And like I said, after about a decade of that or so, maybe a little less, you know, he saw an opportunity um, 
to support other people, you know, the smaller developers, first ideas, people with one of a kind or few of a kind concepts as a way to help them do what Getaway did and, and, and take this really cool, strange idea um, and, and make it happen. So uh, he left Getaway. He started his own company, which at the time was Morton Design Build. Um, and he, you know, every entrepreneur's dream, he got busy really, really quickly and needed some help. Um, and all while that was going on, you know, I actually had a different, uh, a different, uh, upbringing as well, where I actually went to Maine Maritime Academy. So I went to a merchant Marine Academy, small town, Penobscot Bay in Castine, Maine. And that ended up strangely enough, transitioning into what was like a decade long career in retail leadership. So customer engagement, customer service. Uh, I did supply chain and logistics was my first gig with Target out of college, which was my, my main area of study all the way through store leadership, having teams of 200 at a time. Um, I then transitioned from Target to Apple, uh, and I had the pleasure of working for Apple for the better part of five years. Um, and I did all sorts of stuff there, man. But my, my last job, my best job, was I was a senior people manager in their upper New England market. Um, so really like kind of like an HR background at Apple, like less about like policy procedure and more about um, talent development and culture and accountability, like holding people uh, accountable to do to do really really great work. And so at the time, like Sam and I had met back up. Um, I was uh, my wife and I had had welcomed our first daughter, so she was about a year and a half old then, and uh, our second daughter was on the way. And at that point, it was like classic. I was driving down to Boston. It was two hours in the car a day, um, five or six days a week down in the office, ten or twelve hours. Uh, including the commute and like I absolutely loved my job but I knew I needed to be home a little bit more um, and I've always loved working for big companies but always wanted to try my hand at kind of being in something from from a conceptual phase um, and you know interestingly enough Sam was at a place where he had started his own thing and, and had a concept that was growing and booming and, and needed someone whose whose skill gap uh, you know met his and, and, and we could work really really well together and you know, after a few months of chatting about it and, and, and working out the details, I came on board there and that was probably two and a half years ago now. So um, it's been a pretty incredible ride ever since. We've been really, really fortunate um, to be in business with a lot of cool people, you know, work on a lot of cool projects and see a lot of great things happen over the last couple of years. Yeah, and, and that background of yours is, is interesting and it's maybe not not quite what you'd expect from, from someone developing yeah. outdoor hospitality resorts. So I'm going to touch upon that a little yeah. bit in a second. But just before I do that, uh, could you just tell us a little bit about your typical clients at Soma Build and the typical kind of projects that you would work on? Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, typical is a tough word because we really pride ourselves on working with anyone and everyone. There's no concept too big or too small. Um, too strange or too mainstream for us to, to have a great conversation about. Certainly, like as the our, our company has evolved over the years, that has naturally introduced maybe larger scale projects. Um, but like at our core, we're always here to support, you know, first time, second time developers with smaller passion projects and what that looks like. Um, there's no project too big or too small that we don't think that we can support. And if there was ever a time where we couldn't support or we didn't think we were the best you know, use of you, you, you know, we'd be able to introduce you to the right people. Um, and that's like at no cost to like, we're really in this space to help people bring these concepts to life. Um, and we try to take care of people the best we can. So like our normal, you know, most typical uh, uh, client would be someone who is somewhere between their first and third development. 
has something that's, you know, obviously like really geared towards experiential hospitality. And you can kind of kick the can down the road on what that definition is. But, um, you know, Randy Hendrickson had a great blurb on it, who I know, you know, about, you know, where you lay your head down at night, you know, in your accommodations is important, but like what you can do while you're there is more important. Like that's really like the crux of experience. Now, whether that's through like incredible on-site programming specific to your model, or that's because you're just in a beautiful area um, in the surrounding communities, unique, uh, we know whatever that looks like, you know, that's truly that experiential hospitality place. So, so our typical client is, is organizing a, a new uh, or emerging product or property uh, that's focused really on like the experience um, while never slacking on like really cool accommodations. Amazing. And so, you know, touching on, on your, your kind of background again, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, it's, it's not something that you would expect to go from uh, working in, in retail to working on outdoor hospitality. So I'm interested mm-hmm. in, in, you know, you, you would clearly have developed some specific skills managing, you know, as you said, 200 people yeah. uh, working in a big corporation that are probably, you know, I'm sure Apple and Target have some very slick processes and are, are very uh, well systemized and ran. Uh, so is there anything in particular that you picked up from that experience at Target and at Apple that you bring onto the project uh, management side of things? Yeah, I think a ton of it. Those entire jobs, if you know anyone who's done leadership, you know, in the retail space, in the service space, working with the public, you're leading two teams simultaneously at all times. It's your internal and your external customer. So you have your team, you know, who's on this side, and then you have your community that you serve. Um, and you can plan for a lot of that. And a lot of that just has to be really incredible in the moment reactionary leadership. Um, uh, like I said, you know, at times, you know, having a hundred employees and a thousand customers in your store, depending on the day of the year, um, and, and, and keeping your head above water to do everything that needs to be done to make sure the job is done the right way in the eyes of your consumers. I mean, that's project management 101, something that we really pride ourselves on here. So, um, you know, like I, I've, I've supported the management of, of iPhone launches, you know, with people wrapped around, you know, buildings for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet. And we've done that for weeks and weeks in a row. Um, you know, we supported the teams getting back to stores after a three month layoff from COVID and everything that went on with there. So from like a, uh, the title wasn't project manager, but when you work in those spaces, you're managing projects and leading people every single day. Um, so the industry here with Soma Build is certainly different. And that's why Sam and having him and his experience for like industry specific knowledge has been so incredible. Um, But the tools that made me successful in other areas prior seamlessly have fit here. It was all about like learning the space and getting some projects under your belt. Um, But once you could do that, I mean, it's leading people in projects and and, and managing is, is, is pretty synchronized all the way around. Hi everyone, Nick from Glampertech North America here and I've just got a very quick message to announce some extremely exciting news. Since launching in July 2022, Glampertech North America has made a name for itself in the North American glamping industry. We've consulted on over 40 glamping projects, accumulated over 47,000 podcast downloads and plays and we're now ready to take the next step. And with that, we're absolutely delighted to announce that we're beginning the process of developing our own glamping projects. We want you to be involved. There are more details to come, but for now we're taking expressions of interest from prospective investors. We're so excited to get this going. It's been a long time coming and we can't wait to get you involved. So all you have to do is fill out the form in the description of this episode and we'll be in touch with more information very soon. We can't wait to hear from you and we'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. 
And let, let's move on to, to the meat of project development itself, developing yeah. your outdoor hospitality resorts. Um, when I was doing my research, believe it or not, we do do research on this podcast occasionally. Yeah. Um, when, when I was doing the research for this episode, I, I went on Soma Build's website and you've broken down the, the, the development process into five stages. Uh, it's as simple discover- as that, just five mm-hmm. stages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they are discovery and due diligence, yeah. uh, entitlements, mm-hmm. pre-development, Mm-hmm. construction management and pre-opening so we're going to go through each of those stages now uh, and you can maybe sort of go into a little bit of detail on each one um so start with stage one discovery and diligence uh just i'll, I'll give you the floor tell us a little bit about that and we can maybe uh, have some questions off the back of that yeah of course um, and it's important to note too people will reach out to us in any stage of these right so like we might not be brought on this stage we might be brought on later you might be in a different place altogether but the way that we view the project, if we had to simplify and focus the best we could, is we would break it into these spots. So in that discovery and diligence phase, if you're reaching out to us now, you're you're someone with an idea, right? You're someone with, and maybe more than that, but you have an idea that's been burning in your mind and you can see it. Um, you might not have the funding in place. You probably don't have the design in place. You might not even have the land or know where it's going to be. Um, you're really truly in the discovery and diligence. We can help you do a few things there. We can help you refine and build your image. Um, and then also we can do things as simple as helping you with, with some, some project management stuff that's going to be really, really important, you know, down the road, building out, you know, high level, even at that time, you know, conceptual development timelines, budgets, your hard costs, your soft costs, what's it going to take to truly build this out and make this, you know, in your vision, um, you know, even land acquisition. So like, there's no like special tool in the trade. You know, what we have is we've been fortunate enough to make some really, really incredible connections over the years. Um, and we have a lot of like-minded professionals out there who want to see people succeed. So, you know, helping you understand what are you trying to build? Where does that need to be? Is the type of concept that's high acreage? Does it not need to be? Do you need to buy something that's existing? Do you need to buy raw land? Can it be anywhere? Does it need to be two hours outside of a major city? Um, does it have to be on the East coast? Like all of these questions. And as we either widen or narrow that scope, uh, we can then, you know, put that word out there and help you get whatever you need. Um, all the while, you know, remembering that we're, we're organizing, we're cataloging, you know, we're reporting for you. Um, but that's really what the design and diligence phase is, is, is we see that we have an idea here. We're kind of throwing some ideas at the wall, seeing what, what makes the most sense. But then we're actually putting in the foundational pieces of how is this going to work? Where is it going to be? About how much is it going to cost? About how long is it going to take? Um, and those are, you know, more than just like high level estimates. You know, we, we do a pretty good job of, of nailing that down um, with our experience. But that's really what you're seeing in, the, in that, that phase of the project. Yeah, and we, we've done a, an episode or two uh, on this podcast before of, you know, we've, we've had a guy, Nick Labadee on, who is like a, yeah. a zoning expert. And he, we really dug deep into, for example, red flags uh, when looking at a property uh, for a glamping project, for example, uh, and things to, that you kind of don't want to don't want to uh, that you want to look out for to make sure that you don't buy a property with any of those red flags on. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there any particular green flags, red flags, whatever, and, and anything that you look out for? Um, you know, it could be 
proximity to a major metropolitan area, whatever it may be. Is there any common themes of, of, of properties or locations that you look out for when, for example, a client comes to you and is looking for to help find the right location for it for an outdoor hospitality project? There's really no common theme, I would say, uh, more so than there is an effort to find locations that really fit your need and model. And a lot of times that that's really understanding where you're building and what that process is going to look like from a regulatory standpoint around you. Are you buying something existing? What's the current operating permit usage? Do you have a conditional use permit? Is what you want to do in line with that? Again, is it raw land? Has nothing like what you've been doing been done here before? Both of those are okay. Um, But where you're doing it will either create or subtract hurdles along the way. So I think if anything, like the most common theme really of, of when we're looking and helping and supporting uh, our investors and developers find these perfect locations um, is trying to reduce the amount of hurdles to jump through. There's no reduction of all of them, period, and we can talk about that later in the podcast, um, but really trying to fit, if we have the ability to, trying to fit the location to the concept in every way, from design, from existing infrastructure, from land, from scenery, from community, and then certainly from you know what it'll look like to actually get it entitled and permitted, and is it a pro-development county, and, and kind of all those things. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and touching upon pro-development or anti-development counties, we, we'll move on to, to stage two, which is the entitlement process. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've, talk, we've talked a lot about permits and entitlements uh, since we've been doing this podcast. It's obviously yeah. arguably, you know, alongside finance, the biggest barrier um, to starting a glamping business. Um, we could talk about it for days, uh, but yeah, could you just tell us a little bit about, about how you... Um, how you help your clients, investors with that process. And, you know, again, kind of common common hurdles that you come across, common advice that you give to people looking to navigate the entitlement process and just the general learnings that you've picked up navigating that whole process. Yeah, uh, you, you nailed it. There, there's, there's nothing, I should say, there's rarely anything simple about the entitlement process on every project. Um, and with all of these phases, uh, you know, regardless of which one it is, it's always important to know that if done really, really well, um, these phases begin during the prior phase and then usually run congruently or end just prior to the next phase. So there's, there's, you're simultaneously executing phases while preparing for the next phase. Um, and so, you know, the entitlement phase essentially, you know, should begin from the moment we understand where this is going to be. Um, and like you said, and, and you've nailed it on a few other uh, podcasts here, and it, it's, it's an exceptionally large process, but it's everything from uh, what is this land currently used as, if anything? How do we want to use it? What's the delta between those two things? What's the pathway to get there? Um, uh, even once you understand that, that entitlement and permitting process is still contingent on design an exceptionally technical design in a lot of ways. So even though we know what needs to be done, the process of of submitting the application that proves that you're doing what you need to be doing um, to get there can be uh, cumbersome, you know, to say the least. Um, But it can all be executed and executed well as long as you have a good understanding of what needs to be done and you're starting early in the process. Um, And then even the concept of, you know, you have to understand that a lot of these projects happen in, you know, smaller, remote, beautiful towns, counties um, who have an obvious commitment and responsibility to make sure whatever it is that you're doing is respecting, you know, the land and and, what's around it. And luckily, we work with a bunch of people who 
who, uh, you know, that's a part of the concept anyway, so they get that going in. Um, but there's still a lot of red tape to that, you know, for lack of a better term. There's, there's, there's studies, there's design standards, to say the least, and we could talk about that on a whole other hour, I'm sure. Um, and then I think sometimes people lose sight, too, of, of even the idea of sitting in front of a, a local planning board and their inspectors and their, their townspeople and helping them understand what you do. And that's something that we do as well, right? So, like, you know, we don't just, like, consult. We can, but we don't just consult on what that looks like. You know, I'll be gone actually tomorrow. Like, like we fly out, we drive out, we go represent you or sit with you, you know, in, you know, a small town, local setting planning board and get to know that community with you and really understand from their perspective how this needs to be done and how we can move forward. Um, in every project like this, there's a there's an aspect to the opinion of the town as well there should be. You know, at, at, at the end of the day, you're allowed to do it. You've designed it right. You've checked all the boxes. Whether or not people want it around is is important still, um, and we support through that process as well. So you know, it's the entitlement process is is long and cumbersome, um, and it is without a doubt of any project like what makes or breaks a project. Um, but if you tackle it early enough, like there's almost always a way. We just need to identify that way and then execute it. Hey, Galapatech listeners, this is Jacob from EJH Distribution with a quick message about our company. EJH Distribution is a premier provider of event structures, glamping accommodations, and much more. We're a distributor for many manufacturers, one of them being Dewar Tenton, a company that's been around for over 75 years. You may have seen some of their products at the glamping show the past couple years, one of them being the Oak. The Oak is a tunnel tent made of polycotton canvas with an aluminum frame. It sleeps between four to six guests and is perfect for a family unit on your campsite. We also offer other products like geodomes. These are also made of a breathable polycotton canvas with a large bay window and a beautiful front awning piece. One of our other premier manufacturers is Tubo Spain, which is a cylindrical modular glamping accommodation that provides 360 panoramic views and turnkey options. Perfect for places that have big open skies where you can enjoy night view. We also provide event structures from Creative Structures in the Netherlands, which offer unique dome structures which are modular and can be built in a matter of hours. Perfect for weddings, hosting spaces, and much more. If any of these products have piqued your interest, please feel free to reach out to us at sales at EJH Distribution or give us a ring at 587-987-0115. We'll be more than happy to help you with your project. There will also be a link to our brochure, our virtual showroom, and much more in the description below. Thank you for your time and hope you enjoy the rest of the show. And any general advice for winning over counties, townships, general public? Yeah, have an idea that really, really genuinely aims to support, right? Uh, you know, like no one's in this to go broke. I understand that there's a financial aspect uh, for all of these projects. Like you want to do this the right way and, 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 and make out with that in the right way, whatever that means to you. Um, but you can't cut corners in terms of taking care of the land, in terms of taking care of the community, in terms of, of truly offering something that you can genuinely say, I think this makes it better. I think this makes our community better. I think this helps. I think this gives people an opportunity to do this or that, or to come in and be a part of this. Um, like I said, like luckily, like that's that's a usual part of the DNA uh, for the developers that we work with. Like they understand that, um, and they're not just trying to navigate that. That's really kind of like how they're built. Um, but that would like you're not going to fake. 
you know, you like if you're going in there with like a get rich quick scheme, um, like people are going to sniff that out. Um, and obviously there's a financial component, like I said, to all these, but I, I, I think like at the end of the day, helping another human being understand that your project is a good idea starts with you also believing it's a good idea. You having a certain sense of, of passion um, and desire to do it the right way. And then obviously, you know, doing a good job of communicating that. Um, and that's going to be communicated ideally through a developer themselves. It's going to be communicated through me and Sam at SomaBuild and our other project managers. It's going to be communicated um, through a civil engineer probably and from a few meetings and all these people. But there needs to be like real belief that this is, this is you know, for the good of the people. Um, and then you need to be able to explain that. Yeah, I think that's uh, really important to emphasize. We, as, as I say, we've talked a lot about permits and entitlements on this podcast. We've had mm -hmm. specific episodes and we've really dug deep into how to win over, as I say, the counties, the townships, the the, the community. Uh, but that's not something that that's really come out yet is, is picturing, is almost designing the resort and the whole project with the community in mind and really genuinely um, making sure that it does benefit the community because a lot of people can say you know they'll, they'll, they'll be thinking of you know what's going to make me the most money that looks nice uh, yeah. and then they'll pay lip service to oh yeah it will also create jobs and employment and all of that um, but if you can genuinely wear your you know think of the project from from the community's point of view and, and really design it around that as well as obviously remembering the financial element uh, i think that, that particularly if you're dealing with a difficult county or township uh with difficult neighbors i think that is that is certainly um a, a good piece of advice obviously there's always going to be people who are against it there's always going to be some crazy neighbors we've heard plenty of stories about that on this podcast but um you know it, you don't have to win over every single person in the community you just have to sort of um you know get enough support to to, to not get the whole project shut down so I, th I think that's a great piece of advice that we haven't actually heard yet on this podcast so yeah. Um, that that's the entitlement process. Uh, moving on to stage three, uh, pre-development. So first of all, what is pre-development, and 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 again, then we can go into sort of general advice on on that stage of the process. Yeah. So uh, in, important note here. So again, entitlement is running now, running congruently as well with pre-development. Um, and pre-development is pretty much everything that goes on before you put a shovel in the ground. Right. You have a concept. Ideally, you have funding or at least a runway or, or you know a way to move forward financially um you know where it's going to be you know what you want to do um you have a, a an understanding at this point of what the entitlement pathway looks like uh, you know part of any sort of approval process though is contingent on designing something the right way that then can be submitted you know and then can be approved and actually you know show somebody in a, in a construction firm somewhere a general contractor we, we have to build something and these are um, a, a lot of the projects we work on and some less than others certainly but these are exceptionally technical um technical technical you know ideas and drawings so so this is like really onboarding and understanding who your stakeholders are at this point and who's needed right to, in order to make this come to life so this is where you're onboarding or at least starting the scope of an, a civil engineer you know an architect um operators if you need that you know like there's no shortage of person who needs to be on board at this point specific to the nuance of your project executing you know a scope of work that's in line with getting you where you want to be ideally within time ideally within budget and a lot of that's going on congruently right now so um, so again, to, to put it the most simply, and there's, there's, there's more to it than that, the pre-development phase 
is researching, vetting, getting out, you know, the request for proposal and onboarding your key stakeholders and your designers, you know, and really managing them and holding them accountable through the process to actually deliver the documents, the applications that are needed to actually do what you want to do. That'd be the most simple way to put it, I think, for most developers. Um, and it's a, it's a lengthy process depending on what you're building, where you're building, um, what your 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 use permit is for currently, you know, what you need it to be, um, all, all these types of things. But yeah, pre-development is kind of everything from a design standpoint and just project organization, refining your budget now, uh, all the while doing that, right? So like all the while that you were doing this and if Soma builds, you know, on course with you, we, we've already like months prior to this built out a substantial development timeline and really, really detailed budget. Um, sometimes with with hundreds of, of line items on it. Um, and we understand that, you know, for most projects that we work on, 80% of that development timeline is going to be the same. But like project to project, that last 20% is going to change based off exactly what your concept is. So all the while, we're kind of updating and making sure that we're staying the course right now. You know, we're designing ideally, you know, what you want to design, how you want to design it. Um, and we're, we're doing it in a way that can really achieve your end results and your goals. Um, and that's all leading up to the, like the next phase. Yeah. So, so that, that sounds like, um, you know, the start of, of, of the process where you're really starting to coordinate lots of different moving parts, uh, different contractors, uh, different elements of the build. And that I imagine bleeds quite nicely into stage four, which is construction management. Um, and again, you know, I imagine that involves coordinating a lot of parties, which uh, I, I'm going to ask you a little bit uh, more about in, in a second. But tell us a little bit about the construction management phase. Uh, I imagine it's you know fairly self-explanatory, but but what what does that cover and what's involved in that stage of the process? Yeah, it's a massive milestone. You finally get to that phase of actually like building what you envision. So obviously, in the prior phase, you know you've taken concept and imagery and ideas and you've put technical drawings to them in light of what is necessary to actually build what you want to build. Um, and all the while in that process is you're continuing to better understand what your project is, what its detail is, what it's going to take. You're, you're now vetting, you know, local contractors, um, who ideally have experience with something similar to yours or not, you know, there's always a way around that. And you're leading up to this phase of being done with design, being through your entitlement and permanent process, getting a thumbs up from a town, having your permits and actually having, you know, the, the huge, huge project win of being able to build what you set out to build. So now we're in the construction management phase. And I, I think that uh, I'll, I'll say a caveat here because we get this question a lot at Summer Build. And, you know, we really pride ourselves on being super transparent about what we can do and then transparent about what we don't do. We are not general contractors um, and we are not, you know, day to day site supervisors necessarily. Um, the construction management that we oversee is is uh, huge and valuable and it's very cumbersome, but it's like a project management phase with a ton of detail and holding your, your contractors accountable. So again, that's that's researching, vetting, submitting RFPs of anywhere between 5, 10, 15, 20 contractors in and around the area who can support your your project, whittling that down really getting great understanding of, of what needs to be done, what their capabilities are, going through that proposal process, contract negotiation, um, getting you the best price possible for what's probably a pretty substantial build. Substantial is different depending on on who the developer is um, and whoever's listening, you know, like we're talking about you too. There's nothing too small, too big. Um, 
And then once you're here, though, you're truly, you know, this is this is either a lot of earthwork, this is stick building, this could be prefab modular. Like, there's a lot of stuff that goes on here to actually build the physical space, the physical outbuildings. You know, getting the infrastructure done. You know, that's one of the biggest phases of, of pre-dev too is understanding. You know, if you have existing land, you know, what's your current capacity from from wastewater, from electric, you know, it's easy to see that the lights go on, but do you know how much power is coming in here? Do you know what you need? And what's the delta between where you're at now and where you need to be? And there's usually quite a bit to, to, to fill in those gaps. And so once you get to construction management, it's, it's all of that. It's your infrastructure, it's your site work. Um, it, it's it's the building of your outbuildings, it's your your paint, it's your, your everything. Um, and so, uh, no, obviously like, any project of substance and size and we'll onboard a GC and hold them accountable to, to, to pricing and change orders and agreements um, and timelines as we go, you know, anything that's within their control, certainly and within ours. Um, and then that's going all the way into like project milestones from a construction standpoint and, and checklists and punch lists and making sure that we're on site to inspect that work as necessary as well. Um, and, uh, and, and that, but that's it. Like that's, you know, that's where, you spend so much time, you know, in all the phases prior, you know, thinking about what it's going to look like. But construction is 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 it's certainly not a, a stress free time uh, for anyone. Um, but it's where you really, really get to see the concept come to life. It's pretty incredible for people. Yeah, and, and this may be taking it slightly back to pre development, but but I'm interested in. in you said you know you, you you would vet and and request proposals from from several uh, contractors. Um, and you know, people, a lot of people developing their first glamping site will have very little construction experience. They won't really know how to get a proposal from from those contracts. They won't know how to vet them, how to decide. So, have you got any advice on deciding on a particular contractor and things to look out for that um, would 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 indicate that that a particular contractor would be suitable to, for the project as opposed to uh, others that might be unsuitable? If you're doing it yourself and you're not having someone do it, I would I would connect with as many people as possible. Um, uh, this is is going to be the most expensive phase of your project. Um, it should be. Um, and so really understanding like this is not a place where you can afford to take the first thing that comes in. Hey, this is a great price, but do they have the capability of doing this? Um, my, my, so that would be my advice would be to do your absolute research. And, and that's not, you know, I'm not exaggerating where depending on the project, we will connect with anywhere between eight and 20 um, you know, people that we feel as though based off what we can tell. Now, we might either know them from prior projects in and around the area. They might be a national firm. They might be local to the area. Um, and we'll do our research, you know, everything we can. But but we'll reach out to that many people. Now, that might come back with maybe two-thirds or half of that that we actually get a phone call with, right? Um, and from there, maybe 25% of them are too busy or 10% or, or of them really can't commit to what we're trying to do. Um, but at the end, you know, we want to at a minimum, especially and this changes depending on the scale of the project, have somewhere between four and eight, you know, competing proposals so that we can really go through. And we have tools like this that we've built inside to go through and compare and contrast and really like hold people accountable to scope specific items at this phase and really compare and make sure that you're getting, you know, the best value. Um, and it's important to know that best value doesn't always mean the cheapest. Um, 
and best value doesn't always mean the most prestigious building firm, but, but really having, you know, casting a really, really wide net in this phase as all phases. And we do this same kind of process with your engineers performing, with your architects, with your operators, whatever you need. We're always vetting, you know, very extensively, but certainly in this phase, casting a wide net and making sure that you feel super comfortable about who you're working with, what their capabilities are, what their timeline is, how they build contracts, you know, how they hold themselves accountable as a contractor. That's really, really important as well. Um, but that would be my advice. If, if you're doing it yourself and you don't have someone else to do it for you, um, to cast an exceptionally wide net um, and really get a lot of people to throw their hat in the ring and, and prove to you why they're best suited for your job. Mm-hmm. And when you actually, once you've decided on the contractors and, and you know who you're working with and you begin putting shovels into the ground, have you got any advice for actually managing that process and keeping the contractors accountable? My advice to a developer would be don't manage it, let me manage it. And, <laughs> uh, and, and then from there, it's, it's again, these are skills that go back to Apple. It, it, it's having a really, really clear understanding of what's expected. And you, you, you establish that clear understanding far before they actually get on site. Um, but a clear understanding of what's expected and constant follow-up to inspect what you expect. Um, and, and when you're working with a phenomenal contractor, like they get it, like they know that that's part of picking the right people. When you pick the right people, they need less and less and less follow up. A lot of times they're actually sending you daily reports, weekly reports. This is what we've accomplished. We're ahead of schedule. We're a day behind schedule because of the rain. We have X, Y, and Z going on. Um, but yeah, the advice would be having crystal clear expectations, both for yourself and your contractor of what needs to happen and what the expectations are and then having constant communication um you know whether or not that plan varies or not like establishing on a daily basis because truly that's what it'll take that we are where we need to be um and obviously like any nuance and detail and change orders will happen and things will happen along the way you know having the ability to be flexible and pivot and move forward you know is necessary and let's say you've, you've you breeze through the construction process, no issues, um, yeah. which I'm sure is is, a, is not a, That's a common. How it always goes, yeah. <laughs> um, and you move on to stage five, which is pre-opening. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that final stage. Yeah, so this looks different depending on what your concept is. You know what I mean? You might you might have you know ten yurts in an open piece of land. You might have you know a full on resort with a team of 40. So like what this looks like for your specific project is gonna change, but essentially what this is, is is ensuring that we land the plane exceptionally well on that construction phase. We've built what we set out to build, right? We've done it, everything's up, it's working, we've passed inspections, because you still need to pass inspections at that point, right? Like you still need to pass inspections, you still need to have permits issued, but you know you're gonna get the permits issued as long as you do X, Y, and Z. We've done X, Y, and Z. Um, We've made crystal, crystal, clear to our contractors that all of this needs to be done from a punch standpoint and then we can you know kind of really like close the book on their scope um we have the physical space we've always needed and now we're kind of onboarding that operations team like in again that operations team could be 50 people that operations can team could be you know, a lovely couple and their two kids. Like, I don't know what that is for you, uh, but whatever that is, are you able to now take the product that we've built together, right? And operate it. Whether that's, you know, how, like what has to be done now to where you can actually check in guests and take care of them. You know, that's your security system, getting your POS system, 
in place, uh, helping set up your programming, your FF&E, your kind of things like that, making sure your rooms and your spaces, you know, a lot of times we can have the contractors do that as well, but sometimes in an effort to save money that falls on the on-site staff or the on-site person who's, who's quarterbacking this project, whatever that is. But this phase is really all about understanding um, I have this space and, you know, I know that I'm ready to check in my first guest and start operating as I've intended to operate. So, like, what are the last minute punch list items that need to be done so that we can do that? Mm-hmm. And we've gone through each stage now. Uh, mm-hmm. You've gone through those stages with, with, with your clients. Um, yeah. Presumably you've seen... Um, s- s- some operators do it more successfully than others obviously with your guidance you would hope that everyone gets through okay in the end anyway but are there any common traits of the successful operators you've worked with um that they've exhibited throughout this five-stage process that um is really conducive to success and that a lot of our listeners can maybe apply to their own projects i'd say just having establishing best practices and routines in place like a lot of times you know these operations are there's a lot to them. They're complex. Like there's a lot of just like daily maintenance work that goes into helping someone have a great experience. Um, and just understanding that you have a really, really great, if you don't have a background in it, that you're at least consulting with someone or reaching out to someone who's done it before having those best practices in place from an operation standpoint and knowing what are the big and small things that need to be done by our on-site staff from a day-to-day standpoint to make sure that we're eliminating as many speed bumps as possible for our guests and they can focus on an incredible and ideally unique um, experience that we've helped them build and, you know, an incredible and ideally unique, you know, area and community around uh, that they can go and enjoy while they're here too. Uh, a lot of the people we work with too, like their, their onsite programming is like relatively simple. It's, it's meant to unwind. It's meant to relax. It's meant to, to walk in the woods or are down by the water. Um, so really just like that basic, high-end guest experience um, and having those routines in place to make sure that you're allowing that for your people. And on the flip side, are there any mistakes that you see operators making or maybe even mistakes that Soma Build have made that you've learned from um, that our listeners should bear in mind uh, and learn from uh, as they develop their own resorts? From an operation standpoint? Uh, For any point along that five-stage process, you know, any any mistakes that, uh, common mistakes that you would uh, advise or, or or, or warn yeah. uh, prospective developers to, to, to not fall into that same trap? Yeah, it's challenging. You know, I think it, generally speaking, these are not, you know, small scale builds in regards of what that means to you, right? Like what's small to you might not be small to someone else and vice versa. Um, I'd say it, probably the most, you know, recurring hiccup that we see in developers, uh, I, I'd say two, I'll give you two actually. Uh, one would be, really underestimating the scope that they want to do of, of, of doing what they want to do, I should say. And whether that's from like a budget standpoint or a timeline standpoint, or just how much effort and hustle it's going to take in between um, to actually achieve what they want to achieve. Um, and I, I, I will say this, like I have, I have very few times met someone with a, a, a concept that's impossible. Like it can be done. It's willing. It's whether or not we're willing to, to kind of achieve that, and we want to take the time that's going to take to do it and do it the right way. So I would say, I would say that's that's a trend mistake, especially with with first time developers, and that's okay and that's normal, and it can even be a trend, you know, with second and third time developers. But certainly underestimating the scope of what you're trying to do, um, and we try to like simplify and focus every project as much as we can. Um, 
but you can only simplify so much. Like there's still like a lot to be done and, and you need to be ready um, for that. And then the second mistake I would say is, and some people don't have another choice and that's okay, but, but trying to bootstrap it themselves too early. Um, for a lot of people we work with, like there's a lot on the line here and investing, and it doesn't take much, into people who have done it and done it before and done it well to help you identify your path and what needs to be done and what's next um, is huge. So, you know, this space is super interesting uh, and it's really, really open and you've probably experienced this as well. Um, If you're in the experiential hospitality space in any capacity, you're probably one degree removed from someone on LinkedIn. And I can't tell you how many people I've I've seen on LinkedIn who I'm like, wow, I really like what they're putting out. I really identify what they're saying. I really love their portfolio. I'm just going to send them a a message. They probably won't send me one back. And like within moments, like people in this space, like want to help. Um, So let them help, like let people help. And, and, And so those would be my two. Don't underestimate the scope of what you want to do and also make sure that you're allowing really useful, good people to come in and, and, and help you steer in the right direction. Yeah, I'd, I'd really emphasize that second point. You know, it really is a, a friendly industry. Um, obviously, we, we launched Glamitex in North America in July of 2022. Uh, I think about three months before that, I put out a few posts on LinkedIn saying, you know, I want to connect with people on on this side of the water to really, you know, understand the North American yeah. glamping industry and the permitting system and all of that. Um, and yeah, you know, our, our mutual acquaintance, Randy Hendrickson, he reeks out and, and he's just an example, one example of how friendly people are and willing to help. Um, I know, you know, I, that there aren't many operators that do similar. Uh, I will give a shout out to one of our clients and I know she'll be listening to this and she'll be delighted to uh, to hear it from us, uh, Leslie Martin, uh, who who is a prime example of someone who is going on LinkedIn, is going on the social media networks and reaching out to people and just establishing some kind of presence in the industry. Obviously, it's always going to be a little bit small to start with if you haven't got anything to point to, uh, but it but it's more it's better than doing nothing uh, and, and reaching out and connecting with those people and people are happy to help and, and that's the way that you'll meet the, the people that you're going to be working with so um absolutely you know networking is is is, is vital uh, i mean it's not an, it's not a new point but i think it's maybe something that uh prospective operators don't don't really it wouldn't really come into their heads because you know they're so focused on on on, on their own project but it, it absolutely is worth doing um travis thank you it's been an absolute pleasure um if anyone wants to work with soma build how do they go about uh, getting in touch with you yeah there's a few different ways and like anything else we do we try to make it simple and meet you where you're at um so you can jump on our website and fill out a form like we have that available too i know some people that's a preferred way i know some people it's not um we also take like a lot of pride in being you know a really personal personal group of folks um so like connect with me on LinkedIn, send me a message. I will get back to you like soon. I will get back to you. Um, and if it's at the very least to acknowledge your message and then maybe set up a time to chat, um, you can also email me, uh, and I can, I can give you all that information certainly to have, uh, kind of in the chat here as well. But, uh, we're easy to find, you know, and we're always happy and willing to speak, uh, with anyone with a cool concept. Like I said, like nothing is too small, nothing is too big. If we're not the right fit, we'll point you in the right direction. Uh, you know, one of the coolest parts of what we get to do um, is just is just talk to really, really interesting people. You know, people who are in their free time, like creating these grandiose plans and trying to execute them uh, one brick at a time. Um, so at the very least, if we have a great conversation about that, reach out. Travis, thank you. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure.